Welcome to the Authority of Love. My name is Greg Williams, and thank you for joining us. I've shared with you each day how you can get these at WJMM.com, the podcast tab, the Love and Lordship links, on our Vimeo page, Love and Lordship, or on the Podbean page, Love and Lordship, and many more uh, messages and things you can find at loveandlordship.com. You can also contact me at loveandlordship at gmail.com. So I want to get through that because I've got a lot to share today in two different sections here. I told you we're going to talk about the the ambulance in the valley, and you'll see that at the end. But I want to start uh, with a story and a perspective uh, that that from yesterday's show. This quote is from Dorcas Chang Tozun. Sometimes the deepest expression of love comes in the form of difficult-to-hear truths. If that doesn't describe Jesus Christ in many of his messages, now he was very positive and affirming and obviously a healer and compassionate, but he never failed to speak that truth. And many times people walked away. I once heard about a woman who liked to tell her entrepreneur husband, you can do whatever you want. You're the CEO. She said this when he wrestled over a decision, when he wondered what others might think, and when he accepted more modest perks and benefits to try and save the company money. On the surface, her words seemed extremely supportive. She was affirming her husband's wisdom and decision-making in his role as a leader of the company and encouraging him to use his authority. We've talked a lot about what authority really is, right? So you'll see some things there. But the longer I thought about her statement, the more it unsettled me. If her husband truly took her advice at face value and behaved accordingly, the consequences could be disastrous. Remember, this is from uh, Dorcas Cheng Tozun. He might stop taking others into account. He might not seek advice or input. He might not take the time to carefully consider his decisions or learn from his mistakes. In the end, such an approach could actually harm his business, his character, and even their relationship. You see, integrity is essential. We want to show unconditional love toward and acceptance of our partners, but that's not the same as affirming all of their behaviors, choices, and perspectives. Remember the last few days, love one another and serve one another, right? But that doesn't mean that everything goes. In Silicon Valley, here she is again, Dorcas, where I live, we've recently seen the very public failures of several successful business leaders who apparently had few checks on their behavior. They defrauded investors, sexually assaulted or harassed women, and created toxic work cultures. Well, we could say that today, the the owner of the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, right? Far beyond biased strategic decision-making, what ailed these executives seemed to be an utter loss of integrity. Remember, integrity comes from the concept of shalom, wholeness. And we explained that earlier in messages and programs where that wholeness comes from every part of our life being in line with God's truth. Now we're whole, okay? Unsurprisingly, this has been costly for the individuals and their corporations. Studies have found that the higher up in an organization a leader is, the more essential integrity is to his or her success. This is true not just of business leaders. I believe any ambitious professional in a leadership capacity is at risk of this same blindness regardless of his or her industry. Nonprofit leaders, ministry leaders, pastors, academics, and others are all susceptible to wanting to think they already know best and can do whatever they want. Sadly, most of the colleagues who surround them will likely only feed this misperception. You can do what you want. You're the CEO, back to her quote. 
The high levels of ongoing stress that leaders and managers tend to be under doesn't help. While conducting research for Start, Love, Repeat, her book about marriage and entrepreneurship, she spoke with Dave Phillips, an executive mentor who has worked with hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs. The more stress people get under, the more their time horizons narrow, the less far they can see into the future, he explained. They will not see the natural consequences of their actions. That leaves us in a tough spot. So here it is, the gift of hard conversations. This is where spouses, I believe, are uniquely positioned to challenge the ambitious leaders we love. Now you see why I'm including this, right? Because in love and lordship and the authority of love, we find that in Scripture, it all started with a marriage. Not everyone gets married, but everyone's part of a family. And before we can truly love and learn to lovingly lead in Christ's church, we have to do it in our homes, in our families, in our marriages. She says, we see our husbands and wives more clearly and intricately. So that's why we're uniquely positioned to have the hard conversations. We can speak to them from the love and security, the love and security, excuse me, of a committed relationship rather than as an employee or business partner. It is not to be clear about tempering or critiquing our spouse's ambitions. Those who pursue bold callings with integrity and righteousness have the opportunity to honor God and serve others in a high-impact way. Scripture, after all, encourages us. Remember yesterday and day before, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another. It encourages us to let your light shine before others, Matthew 5, 16, and to serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received, 1 Peter 4, 10. As Christianity Today's editor-at-large and author Caitlin Beatty writes, in a woman's place for Christians to live in a sadikim, or a sadikim, Hebrew for the righteous, on the earth, they need the doggedness, the vision, the shrewdness that are markers of people who shape and lead our society in profound ways. We need godly people in positions of power, influence, and decision-making in every industry and area of work. And I would say this, that's why we need the authority of love. Because the only real authority in Christ's kingdom is love. But it's not just a feel-good, compassionate love. Remember, it's the telling the truth because we place God above all else kind of love. As spouses, we can help place those ambitions in perspective in the larger picture of God's work in the world and in our lives. There are plenty of other voices in the world who will provide both judgment and acclaim based on worldly accomplishments. In contrast, we can do our best to ensure that our partners think and act in consistently God-honoring, kingdom-building ways. That's powerful. Our first concern shouldn't be what our spouses can or cannot do, but who they are and who they are becoming. Gary Thomas writes in Sacred Marriage, loving something something and purifying something go hand in hand. A husband who truly loves his wife will want to see her grow in purity. A wife who truly loves her husband will want to see him grow in godliness. Both will put growth in godliness above affluence, public opinion, or personal ease. You see, the deepest expression of unconditional love can come in the form of difficult-to-hear truths of illuminating areas of weakness, blindness, and potential sin. As Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. One business owner I interviewed told me how her husband challenges her to set better boundaries with work. 
He'll come into my home office and stop me and ask me to spend time with family, she said. I've learned a lot from him. He really prioritizes time with family and self-care. Both are scriptural, by the way. Another entrepreneur told me how his wife has protected me from myself by monitoring their family finances and helping him to weigh the risks in his decision-making. Others have been challenged by their spouses to delegate more or to focus their goals more in order to provide better health and stability for the family. You see, love is more than affirmation. Dorcas writes, in my own 12-year marriage to an entrepreneur and now CEO himself, I have often felt like the lone voice that asked my husband to to pay more attention to things other than work, including his health, our marriage, and family. I have encouraged him to seek advice and prayer from mentors and friends and to prioritize relationships and his spiritual well-being even when he was feeling overstretched. I believe that in the end, my husband and I have both benefited from these hard conversations. He knows I speak from a place of love and respect, and when he, in turn, challenges me, I know he has similar motives. Our relationship, as well as our individual characters, have experienced the fruit of this shaping and gentle nudging toward maturation. But my husband's career has benefited as well. His willingness to accept difficult feedback from me has prepared him to better listen to his colleagues, partners, and employees. Aware of his own shortcomings and blind spots, he regularly seeks guidance and input from others. He is willing to ask for help when he is uncertain what the path of greatest integrity and righteous leadership is. And I'm adding, that always starts with Scripture. In all of these ways, he is better prepared and equipped to serve the mission of his company and the people under his care. No, you may not be able to encourage your spouse to do whatever he or she wants, but in the end, they will be able to do so much more because you were willing to love them by speaking up and holding them to account. Folks, that's not just marriage and family and business. That's discipleship. That's loving discipleship in loving relationships. And I'm going to close with this, the ambulance in the valley. Think about this in terms of God's relationship with us and ours with him and others. "'Twas a dangerous cliff, as they freely confessed, though to walk near its crest was so pleasant. But over its terrible edge there had slipped a duke and full many a peasant. The people said something would have to be done, but their projects did not at all tally. Some said put a fence round the edge of the cliff, some an ambulance down in the valley." The lament of the crowd was profound and was loud as their tears overflowed with their pity. But the cry for the ambulance carried the day as it spread through the neighboring city. A collection was made to accumulate aid, and the dwellers in highway and alley gave dollars and cents not to furnish a fence, but an ambulance down in the valley. For the cliff is all right if you're careful, they said, and if folks ever slip and are dropping, it isn't the slipping that hurts them so much as the shock down below when they're stopping. So for years, we have heard, as these mishaps occurred, quick forth would the rescuers sally to pick up the victims who fell from the cliff with the ambulance down in the valley. Said one to his pleas, it's a marvel to me that you'd give so much greater attention to repairing results than to curing the cause. You had much better aim at prevention. For the mischief, of course, should be stopped at its source. Come, neighbors and friends, let us rally. It is far better sense to rely on a fence than an ambulance down in the valley. 
He is wrong in his head, the majority said. He would end all our honest endeavor. He's a man who would shirk this, their responsible work, but we will support it forever. Are we picking up, aren't we picking up all just as fast as they fall and giving them care without dally? A superfluous fence is of no consequence if the ambulance works in the valley. The story looks queer as we've written it here, but things oft occur than our stranger. More humane, we assert, than to succor, succor the hurt is the plan of removing the danger. The best possible course is to safeguard the source by attending to things rationally. Yes, build up the fence and let us dispense with the ambulance down in the valley. Author is unknown. I want to close with this. In God's design, which means in our lives, love, authority, and discipline cannot be separated. If we do not learn loving discipline in our lives through those in authority over us, then we will abuse any authority we are given. If we humble ourselves and lovingly receive the disciplines of foundation, boundaries, and guidelines, then we will humbly love others and apply the same. If not, then the disciplines of relationship, community, and systems do one of two things. One, become harder and harsher, rehab, jail, prison, etc., addiction, brokenness, and or two, fail to hold people and societies accountable. We need the fences as they are the most loving thing to do. The ambulance should only be needed to help when someone has broken down the fences personally or towards someone else. Think about the poem in light of love, authority, and discipline. And remember this quote from our book, The Authority of Love. God places the thousand-volt fence in front of the thousand-foot cliff. Hard truths are often the most loving thing to do, to share, but there is no love apart from truth. Thank you for joining us. Thanks always for your prayers. Thanks to the Lord always, and God bless in Christ. Stay tuned for Bill Reeser Encounter. I'm Greg Williams, and you're listening to The Authority of Love.